his gospel. So he groups certain stories together in order to communicate to us specific points. Really, he's communicating as he groups these together, answers to these three questions. Who is Jesus? Why has he come? What does it mean to follow him? And so we continue to see that play out for us. I'm going to spend just a little more time than usual reviewing. If you remember at the end of last parables, we looked at the parable of the sower. As Mark now puts these parables together, we saw Mark doesn't do a lot on Jesus' teaching, but he does here get group some parables for us. And Mark and Jesus makes the comment to his disciples with the parable of the sower that it's important you understand this parable. Because if you don't, you're not going to understand the other ones. So just a moment to review, and really the next three triplets of, of parables we'll look at here uh, really just continue and serve to push forward this point. Parables are simply stories that reflect the characteristic of the kingdom of God. Stories that reflect the characteristics of the kingdom of God, and as such they serve for us as a mirror that we might know where we stand in relationship to the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches in different formats and different styles in different ways, but when he comes to preach to outsiders, as he would call them, or a mixed congregation, he teaches, to, he teaches them through parables. And as he does, there is a deeper wedge or a deeper divide driven between the insiders and outsiders. By now you've seen in these responses time and again and again, whether it's his own family, whether it's the crowds, whether it's the disciples, whether it's religious leaders, that there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. He doesn't allow for a neutral position. There's no sense in which we take just a little bit of Jesus, appreciate him as a teacher, but he is not Lord. Though we find him a little bit interesting, but are not all in with him. The responses of the folks, either they think he is a madman, he is crazy, they think he's a liar, or they think he is working for Satan himself, works by the power of the demons, or is the disciples, they hear his call, they respond and follow him, he becomes the sole object of their discipleship, and they're all in with Jesus. We see there is no neutrality. For us, we've said that we don't get to take Jesus and and curve off the edges that make us feel more comfortable and take that Jesus that we create in our own image, so to speak, and allow that to be our Jesus. No, as he is presented, there is no neutrality, and that helps us make sense a little bit. In verses 11 and 12, a hard saying of Jesus says, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God, speaking here to his disciples, But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Quoting there from Isaiah 6. The secret of the kingdom, that word there is mysterion, it's the mystery, not a riddle to be solved, but something hidden that will be revealed. What is the secret of the kingdom except what we've seen, that the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ? Scripture speaks of kingdom in different ways, but one of the ways that it speaks is of the arrival of the Messiah, 
So that Jesus would say as he comes on the scene in chapter 1, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. In other words, I'm here, the kingdom's here. And so he's letting the disciples in. The secret of the kingdom is just this, is that it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Is that it is offered in the person of Jesus Christ. Not with some revolution, not with with some political explosion, but in this humble beginning with the person of Jesus Christ. And so why have this divide that those outside would not understand? Why speak in parables in this way? And he's reminding us that in order to understand the kingdom of God, it must be viewed from the inside. I think this is a helpful illustration, so I'll, I'll go over it one more time. But it would be something like a stained glass window. You look at these pretty ones over here. If you were to walk around and stand in front of the nursery and look back through these windows, they're pretty ugly. There, there's no color. They're dull. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense what's going on. It's just a bunch of metal, some dark glass. It's a dull, sort of jumbled, confusing look. So when you're standing outside, it makes little sense and there's very little that's attractive about it but you come inside and you see the sun shining through the light coming through and suddenly it makes sense you see the color you see the beauty it all starts to make sense and Jesus is saying similarly with the kingdom of God you don't get to stay outside and just an interest peer in or take a posture of defensiveness as the, the religious leaders did and just try to, to ask questions and get clues and find out. No, in order to understand the kingdom, in order to be part of the kingdom, you have to come and sit at Jesus' feet. You, you have to be with Christ, not just interested about Christ. He has to give you ears to hear and hearing you need to follow him as the disciples did, follow him and then adopt his mission and proclaim his message. And so he speaks in parables to continue to show us what the kingdom is about and to continue to draw that line between those who are outside just with some vague interest and those who have come and are at Jesus' feet with him as king. They're the ones who understand these parables. They're the ones who begin to understand the nature of the kingdom and their position and who they are and who they can be in the kingdom So a quick review then, if that is our background, a quick review of three things to take from that parable of the sower that we'll build three more layers on. First, we understand that the main purpose, I think, here in Mark, even a little different than the other Gospels, is he's speaking of that Jesus is the sower. That's the the main point, is that Jesus is the sower. And what he is sowing is the message, the gospel of the kingdom. And he is scattering it indiscriminately as he he spreads that seed around. Jesus has come and he is sowing and, and, and the seed is being scattered indiscriminately. And yes, there's opposition and yes, Satan tries to steal. But for those who have ears to hear, it is life. And so as he builds a kingdom, it feels like the scattering seed is a pretty lame picture maybe for what we would think there could be a lot better picture of a, the kingdom. But no, Jesus is sowing that king and at the end you see that the fruit, even though there's many people who oppose, the fruit of it is beyond what you can imagine. As you see it tenfold and thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. 
Secondly, the parable teaches us that the kingdom must continue to be proclaimed. The kingdom is a, there's an ongoing proclamation of the kingdom. The seed is, is, is sown. Remember, we don't often go too deep into the Greek, but if you look at the first three soils, there's kind of this idea of, of a past tense. The seed was there, it lasted for a moment, something happened and it's gone. But in that last, in the good soil, it moves to this present tense of this ongoing idea of the seed being sown again and again and again, of hearing really the seed being sown once and hearing again and again and again, hearing what the Lord has to say. The ongoing growth, the ongoing work of the kingdom, of hearing the word. And finally, we see in this initial parable, in this veiled sense, that the kingdom has come in reality, in Jesus. And yet we're awaiting its consummation, that is, its harvest. So the kingdom as an inbreaking of a heavenly kingdom into this age that is passing away. In Jesus Christ, it is here. It's being offered. And yet we are awaiting its final harvest. We are awaiting its consummation. And we have that illustrated for us in the parable of the sower. So now to layer three more ideas in these next three little parables placed on top of one another. So the first one we'll look at here is in verse 21 through 25. You just heard it read for you, so I won't read it again. But it's the idea of a lamp on a stand. There's three clues for us what this lamp is. First, it's a definite article in front of it. It's not a lamp, it's the lamp. Secondly, unlike the other Gospels, Mark makes the lamp the subject of the sentence. It's not the object, it is the subject. And then different translations, you might have the word, instead of in verse 21, a lamp is brought, you might have the word, the lamp comes or is coming, which is probably a better translation. So with these ideas of the lamp, the subject coming, we would put this together and have a clear idea that the lamp here is Jesus Christ. The lamp is, is, is Jesus, and the light is coming into the world, similar to John's sort of Christmas story in chapter 1 of John. The light has come into the world. And so the lamp comes in, and, and to ma- help us make sense a little bit of this purpose of the parables of both revealing and hiding and how that works together. Jesus says, I'm coming and my purpose to come is not to be hidden. It's not to conceal. But it is to reveal. It is to make known. And I think the point that Jesus is making is that the initial sort of hiddenness or concealment of the kingdom that he is coming to offer is going to be revealed, is going to be made known. It's hidden somewhat at the beginning. It's a mystery that needs to be revealed. And he's saying it will be revealed. The light will break into the darkness. Those who hear will know. And one day all will know. And so he's making that point that the hiddenness is going to be revealed in the kingdom of God. He shows us how that's going to happen in verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
It is through the gospel proclaimed, repent and believe the gospel. Again, back to chapter one with the message Jesus is preaching. That the hiddenness of the kingdom is being revealed as we hear, as we hear the word of Jesus. It's being revealed here in Jesus himself and the person of Jesus and continues to be revealed in Jesus. And so it's contrasting sort of the original hiddenness of the kingdom with its ultimate revelation. I think a quick application before we look at the second part of this lamp is an encouragement for our own souls of the reality, the the realness of the kingdom right now among us. That indeed the kingdom of God is at hand. That we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That the church indeed is an outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. Because the reality is you live day to day and just the cares and concerns of this age that are passing away feel a lot more real sometimes than this idea of the kingdom of God. God doesn't always feel real near. In fact, sometimes he feels very far away. In fact, sometimes the psalmist said, I wish he was further away because when he's near, it just feels even harder. And the cares, the concerns, and even the pleasures of this world start to stack up and that is what feels like that's real. The kingdom of God is just some idea out there. But this is what's real in my life. It's by hearing, by hearing the word of God, that that begins to flip. That the kingdom of God begins to be revealed in your heart and your mind. We emphasize, my prayer for you often, often in the call to worship, I'll emphasize the idea that we we don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that when we gather together, we're sort of leaving the real world and coming here and taking a break from the real world for a while, kind of catching our breath, and then we go back out into the real world. But that as we cross into the sacred, as we join with the people of God, as we hear the word of God proclaimed, we would understand that this is reality. Our citizenship in heaven is reality. And that being in this, it would then reorganize our thoughts and our minds. Away from the cares and concerns and pleasures of this world to what is truly our treasure. What should take priority. To restructure, reorganize, encourage us around the reality of the kingdom of God that is assured in the person of Jesus Christ. Continue going on in verse 24 and 25. He uses a bit of a, a Jewish proverb here. I think what he's communicating in these verses is the measure, often we'll hear it this way, the measure you apply to others is what you'll be measured with yourself. And we can think of it in the terms of you'll, if you're judgmental of others, you should expect some judgment on yourself. I think here what the point that he's driving at is this, is that what you put into something is what you'll get out of it. What you put in is what you'll get out of it. 
And again, drawing that line of division between the insiders and the outsiders in the kingdom of God. Again, showing us that the dividing line has nothing to do with self-attained righteousness. It has nothing to do with position. It has nothing to do with family, name, or race, or anything else. It has to do with those who hear and hearing respond in faith and repentance. And so as he continues to draw that line, he says, it's those who, who hear, who come after me. They're the ones who, are, who have come inside to view the window, as it were. They're the ones who to more will be given. Those who just stand on the outside with a little bit of interest or curiosity, what's been given will be taken away. Again, an expansion on the, the parable of the sowers, the rocky soil and the thorny soil and the, the hardened path they have is plucked away it's the one who continues to hear the word to sit at the feet of Christ so the one who puts more in will get more out you know just to stretch it a little bit for application I mean I think the the, the application is obvious in church life You, you get out what you put into it you know I know I know as a pastor, I don't do things perfectly. There's plenty of times I've failed people and let them down, and church hasn't provided opportunities we should have at times. But I can't tell you one thing that's frustrating as a pastor is when someone comes and, and says, man, I'm just not feeling fed spiritually, or I just don't feel like there's any community. And you know, like, they're just putting so little in, so little effort in. What, what do you expect to get out? And you think, to... to the more that you come, the more that you put in, the more you're going to get out, whether it's relationships, the more hearing that you do, the more you put yourself under the word of God and respond to it. That's the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom is like this. There is a, 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 a mystery to how it begins. There is a concealment. There is a surprise. It's not what people expected in the person of Jesus Christ. But it, the, the point is that the concealment is going to be revealed. And understand you need to come in. You need to be at the feet of Jesus, not just from afar trying to figure it out. And the more that you come, the more that you put in, the more you will understand and know. And then we move to the second layer here. That's the parable of the growing seed. If you would just listen as I read verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We see the sovereign work of God in the building of his kingdom here. Again, this is like the kingdom, the scattering of seed on the ground. It's striking how mundane these pictures are, aren't they? that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom. I think you would think of like something more glorious and grand. But no, in his wisdom, the, the kingdom's like this. It's like scattering seed on the ground. Again, going back to the initial parable. <clears throat> the parable is telling us that the 
The nature of the kingdom is this, that the word goes forward and as you hear, God does a work. God is faithful to the word that goes forward. It may take time. It may come without a lot of flash or a lot of flourish. But God is building his kingdom. He talks about the farmer. The farmer goes to sleep, he wakes up. He goes to sleep, he wakes up. He's just living his life. It's not an insult that he's lazy. He says the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. Again, not that he's completely ignorant, but it's not like he can get down there in the dirt and make that seed grow into something. And yet, up it grows. And it brings forth fruit. Jesus compares the kingdom to this process of growth. The seed is not spectacular. Its growth isn't necessarily spectacular or even perceptible day to day. The farmer goes about life rising and sleeping and meanwhile slowly the seed begins to grow and to sprout and to bring forth fruit. kingdom of God works like that in our lives. <clears throat> if you're like the, the rocky soil, someone who comes and they get a burst of excitement, and your spiritual life is built on the energy and the excitement that you get either week to week in church or in how things are going for you, as soon as a little obstacle comes, right? Boom, that That plan is blown over. There's no root there. In contrast, here's a seed who slowly, not spectacularly, but slowly, day by day, is hearing and growing. That's what the Christian life is like. It's a lot more like plotting, isn't it? And we've talked about that with the rocky soil. I could tell you, if you came to church and you sit in this service, or you decide, I'm going to go do something else, sit on the porch sip a cup of coffee, enjoy the beautiful morning, you know what, there's a good chance at the end of the afternoon you would be like, I had more profitable time sitting on my porch. But you do that week after week after week, and you start to just see the decay of faith in your life. Whereas you look back after years of God's just faithful working of him removing, uprooting weeds and and that seed being planted in your life and hopefully you will see the kingdom of God at work in your heart and your life maturing you and growing you and bringing forth fruit. And he says for those who want to see something spectacular and flashy, they're not understanding the kingdom. The kingdom is like this. It's seed that's scattered. Day after day after day, God does a work, and in his sovereignty, he brings forth the fruit. So again, characteristic of the kingdom, surprising to what the people were expecting, but how God works. Finally, the third layer here, the parable of the mustard seed. Listen as we read verses 33 or verses 30 to 34. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the bird of the air can make nests in its shade. 
With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained. Right now, if you do a Google search, the mustard seed actually isn't the smallest seed in the whole world. He's not putting forth here like a scientific journal for you. He's using a little bit of hyperbole to give us an illustration. The mustard seed is tiny. A bird could fly by and get a whole mouthful of mustard seeds and and fly away. And yet over time, that seed, it takes root and grows, grows into a plant, a bush that would be big enough to provide shade for a whole flock of those same birds who would try to steal it earlier. And Jesus is saying the nature of the kingdom is like this. It may seem like an insignificant, very humble beginning, And it is, when you think of Jesus coming as man, born to a young teenage virgin from a no-name town, being born in the manger, in the stall. We have the pretty Christmas pictures in our mind, but it's a pretty humble way to come into this world. Mainly rejected, all the religious leaders are rejecting him. So far, we've seen the the crowds are following him because they're interested in him. They want something from him. The religious leaders are just outright rejecting him. He's being accused of being possessed by a demon or being Satan himself. And his own family hears him and says he's out of his mind. Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom. (laughs) This is the offer of the kingdom. I'm here. It's this mustard seed, this sort of humble beginnings But out of that grows something immense and beautiful and all-encompassing in this bush that is produced by it. Jesus is saying this, that the nature of the kingdom is like that. It begins humbly, but it will flourish and grow and be beautiful. Despite the opposition of so many, Despite the criticism, despite what feels like the unfruitfulness of the beginning of this ministry of Jesus, and what will only continue to go that way over the next year for him as the shadow of the cross falls over his ministry and he sets his face towards Jerusalem where he'll suffer and die. All of this feels like there's no revolution, there's no glory here. What kingdom is this? And he's saying, no, take a look. This is the nature of the kingdom. It's not going to make sense for you if you're outside trying to look in. You have to come and follow me. You have to sit at my feet. You have to take my message. You have to join my mission. Then the nature of the kingdom and who you are in light of that kingdom will start to make sense and be revealed. And it comes... And it comes in a small, inauspicious way and its end is glorious and the light will overcome the darkness. As Revelation says, it'll be a new city and it will be the new garden. What you were made to be, the the work you were made to do will be done in total fruitfulness and fulfillment. The relationships that we were made to have will be enjoyed in perfect harmony. The fellowship that we were created to have with our God will be experienced without sin and suffering, sorrow. 
This is the kingdom of God. Two final words of encouragement. We find ourselves in this germinating season. The kingdom of God is here. Christ has come upon us, part of the church. He is doing his work of the kingdom and outposts here on earth of his kingdom, so to speak. And assuredly, as Jesus came, is assured the outcome of the consummation of his kingdom. The work may feel mundane. The the choices of of pursuing Christ, making him Lord, and living for for another kingdom in this age is passing away might feel not worth it. It doesn't feel rewarding at times. And yet he's telling you the promise is there. It might start small and insignificant, but its end will be beautiful and glorious, and it's assured it will take place. And then finally, our work in the kingdom... Our proclamation of the gospel, our acts of mercy, of kindness, again, may go completely unnoticed, may feel insignificant. And yet that is part of the nature, characteristic of the kingdom that brings about its consummation. That through that, God is doing a work by which one day he will make all things new. So Jesus, as he speaks to the people, the disciples, those who are inside, those who are outside, starts to explain the nature of the kingdom. And it's a good lesson for us because it's a lesson of patience and faith and dependence upon God. And the truth is that the work he started, he will complete. And by his grace, we get to be part of it. And even though it feels like the things of this age are more real than the kingdom of God, I'm telling you they're not. And he's telling you, if Jesus lived and died, then they're not. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And it will be consummated when the harvest comes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight into the kingdom of God. Lord, sometimes it can feel just like a, maybe a concept we talk about. But it's a reality in which we live. <clears throat> 